0: This is Peter
1: and this is Tom
0: and you're listening to history teachers talking podcasts. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska. And today we're going to, um, kind of do something a little different for you guys, but we thought it would be prudent to share this with you, um, We are going to be talking about the probably greatest um, invasion, at least the largest, the largest
1: land and sea invasion, right?
0: Right. Um, Land of right Of uh, Normandy on, commonly known as the D-Day invasion from June 6th, um, 1944. And what makes this one a, a special episode, right, Tom, is... That we're gonna kind of hear about it from the horse's mouth. We had That's the ability right, yeah. to primary attract, source, <laughs> yes, to actually interview um, a D-Day veteran. So you know, there's not many of those guys alive, and I actually had to fly solo that day because Tom was in a hospital. How you doing, by the way?
1: I'm all right. I'm uh, well. I'm I'm okay, uh, but we'll see what the uh, outcome is later on. But I'm okay.
0: Non-COVID, okay, okay. Related. Non-COVID, Non-COVID related, non-COVID related, <laughs> non-COVID related. Yeah, it's more like stress related. I guess, yeah, you know? I guess. Yeah, I guess. Your body's falling apart. Um, That's how we're gonna get old away. age. That's what happens. Old age, old age. Yeah, I'm but there. Tom's fine. Tom's fine. But anyway, so I had to fly solo that day when I interviewed um, our guest, uh, Mr. Al Sippel, who is nearly ninety-four years old. But uh, but so literally, when I was interviewing him, you were in the hospital. So it's kind of a you were there in spirit. You were there in spirit.
1: Yeah, I'm but, in the hospital for something, like you know, whatever. And then this this guy fought in D Day, like it's just like, oh yeah. He
0: yeah. <laughs> was, and it was funny because he was telling me too. He's like, you know, I like to do my own things. So, you know, the other day a tree fell in my yard, so I cleaned it up, and you know, I'm on my own lawn. And I'm like, well, that, that, that's
1: people of that generation. I mean, that's people of you know what they call that great the Greatest Generation. Yeah. That they were like kids during the Great Depression, or you know, and then they yeah go and fight World War II. They come back and. But the they're like the parent they're the parents of the baby boomers, you know. So um, yeah. you know, that they're uh, that's why they have that moniker that that nickname. And um, yeah, I mean, my grandfather was one too. We'll get into this, I'm sure, at some point. My grandfather was in World War II, and I remember hearing the stories. Kind of what gave me my uh, passion for history. And um, yeah, the fact that some of these P- people are still alive today that like, fought in this battle. And he fought in the battle. Like if all the kids that are listening to this podcast or the younger students are listening to this podcast, they play those like call of duty games and whatnot. And they, a lot of times they start with like, like a D-Day, especially the world war two version. They start like a D-Day type invasion or they're watching saving private Ryan. It was just on the other day on TNT saving private Ryan. And it's, it's the same thing. Like this guy was actually there. So he's telling his first, you can't get any more firsthand than this. So he, he's yeah. describing it. And he, he's, you know, you said he's 94, But um, he's sharp. He knows what he he, he remembers things. And I guess that that, that has to be the case. Like if you live through something like this, it's going to seem like it's yesterday. Because how can it not? How can it not?
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Mr. Sipple did tell me, you know, during the interview, he said, I wouldn't want to do this again ever. But I'm (laughs) glad I was there to do it. There was a total of 16 million American veterans that fought in World War II, right? 16 million or so American soldiers in World War II, and uh, there's about you know three hundred thousand of them left today uh, from the sixteen million. That high? Yeah.
1: So I remember years and, ago. I'm sorry, to interrupt you, Peter. But no, I remember I years
0: ago when um, Saving Private
1: Ryan came out, they started doing something similar to this when um, Schindler's List came out. And then Steven Spielberg was interviewing all the Holocaust survivors just to have their their stories on tape, and he was mm-hmm. like donating it to like the National Archives. And then after Saving Private Ryan. Um, Tom Hanks got involved in that too when he started interviewing all of these survivors um, that were at that point in like I guess their 70s, mid-80s a lot of them Yeah, and he was interviewing yeah they're mostly all in their them, 90s and 100s yeah, now getting Yeah, all their, getting all their stories Yeah, but now it's even now it's even older I believe what, last year? No, the year before so 2019 2018 was the last year the Pearl Harbor survivors met because there just isn't any enough left anymore to
0: meet Yeah, and actually they we're said for D-Day, yeah, for D-Day survivors Yeah, and for D-Day survivors um the last year was the 75th anniversary of d-day and there was only 30 american uh d-day veterans to show up at that normandy yeah they have the normandy which is the lowest it's ever been and when i spoke to mr simple about it uh he did mention to me that you know he goes he's like i just couldn't travel he goes i you know I'm, i'm getting up there and i just i didn't feel healthy enough to travel so obviously only 30 showed up i'm sure there's a lot more out there but yeah um Statistics, according to National World War II Museum, which I've actually been to uh, New Orleans, it's an awesome place. Uh, Mr. Simple is very excited because he's like, my name is in there. But anyway, according to the National World War II Museum, 294 um, World War II veterans will die each day or have died each day in 2020. And there is now a, a little caveat to this, an asterisk that says this does not account for COVID related deaths. So it's yeah, like just 300 from... die each day of, yeah. of veterans that fought in this war.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're up in age, unfortunately. And that's what happens and there. It's a part of history that I guess it's more, you and I are a certain age, we grew up our, and myself, or people in our generation more so, that our grandparents fought in World War II. You had that, you know, yeah. you had that sort of thing. And um, they, I guess our parents, or my father was in Vietnam, but yeah. which i'm which is something we have to talk about one day peter p is we, we, we should do a podcast he, no, no, no he's telling me more and more about it Take like all the time. six
2: minutes Take and, like six
1: minutes time and like these letters are keeps on coming in and i'm like dad why do you have like combat he's like i don't want to talk about it. i'm like what wait, what is going on here like yeah. he used to always he used to always tell us that he had nothing to do with it and now it's like more and more that he had a, quite a bit to do with that but i don't want to get into that now it's just like crazy
0: but i think you should probably interview dad that's my guess
1: yeah, 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 I know. But like this stuff comes to comes to my parents' house once in a while I'm this, you know, my mom's like, Oh, you got some mail some randomly and I'm going through. I'm like, why does it say you were like a, you're a combat veteran? He's like, uh I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You you said you just wrote checks. What's going on? You know, so I don't know, I don't know. By the way, that's
0: a word a lot of people don't want to talk about. And yeah, even you know, there's, there's even there's here you'll like you you guys will hear in a interview, um, Mr. Sipple is saying that he never really talked about it until no, he went don't. to a doctor's office. And he like picked up a newspaper and a newspaper said that, um, you know, a lot of the younger generation doesn't really know what D-Day is and they don't really know much about World War II. And he was like, you know what, heck with this, like, I'm, I'm going to share my story. And, and that's kind of what prompted him to share the story. And he actually initially shared his story with me, uh, when I was working on a World War II book that I have coming out next year. And that's why I kind good of, good plug, I, good plug, Peter. No, well, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, but for that reason, I kind of, uh. You know i i knew him from that so i asked him if it would be okay to interview him for a podcast and he said sure and well so he's like yeah i'll stop by so i met him at a local museum in my hometown and uh you know this was this past weekend so it, again just so we're on the same page the the audio i tried to clean up as much as i could but because of covid i made sure we stayed in an open space um it was kind of like, you know, doors were open. Uh, he's wearing a mask. So, you know, we're apart. The audio is so what it is. But you can you can hear everything. You can totally hear him. Yeah, you can totally you hear everything. You, got,
1: just... you can definitely get the gif that, you know, of what he's talking about. You can you can get his passion for what he's talking about. You can really understand how still like he remembers this, even though it was over 75 years ago, as if it was yesterday. As if this is yep. him talking a couple of days after D-Day describing what he experienced.
0: Yep. So let's uh, you know before we kind of share um, our interview, which Tom unfortunately was in the hospital for. Um, okay, we're gonna <laughs> bring that up, huh? Well, I just feel bad for you, man. All right, <laughs> let's let's talk about D Day itself, right? Let's uh, you know, right. Mr. Simple kind of starts off his story, uh, you know, when he heard about Pearl Harbor and he's sixteen and he's like, "That's it," um, you know, quit school, enlisting, which is very common, right? Yeah, very common. time. Um, and then as soon as he turns seventeen, he gets activated and. Well, you hear his story but he winds up um on D-Day, Omaha Beach, first wave on June 6. I mean, he is he's the guy actually in a Higgins boat where you see in the movies all the time. Um you know where the ramp opens up and all the soldiers come out and there's machine guns just shooting at them German machine guns. He was on that Higgins boat. Um he was the operator of that um Yeah, so it, I mean, for, again for those younger you ramp, draw, the ramp the ramp, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so imagine if these, you know, these younger people who are listening to this podcast, you're 17, 18 years old. This is how old he was. And you're charging towards a beach being held by Nazis. And you know about the Nazis, you know, the the Germans, Hitler. This is the Atlantic Wall. This is Fortress Europe. You're heading towards it over choppy seas. And you, you're seeing planes fly by. You're hearing explosions right and left. You're seeing other ones of these boats getting destroyed. The machine gun fire is bouncing off of the front of your boat. And then they're saying, all right, lower low, lower the ramp and then run. Run towards where those machine guns are shooting at you. Yeah. Go. And that's what they're doing. And they, they, they use, you do it. They do it because they, this was something that, and it's hard. I know this might sound, it's not corny, but I guess it sounds corny when he's coming like, these guys are heroes and yet they refuse and they don't call themselves heroes. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. always have that, yeah. you always have that saying there. And, um, but it definitely is. That's what they are. I mean, you talk about movies, you talk about the video games. This is the, the history's greatest conflict. This is the biggest battle, right? In history's yeah. greatest conflict, everything that was going into the planning of D-Day. That's, you know, again, future podcast, right? Just the planning itself of D-Day. Yeah. Because Yeah. It happened June 6th, but yeah, I know, you know, Pete and a lot of other people, they supposed to happen June 5th. It happened mm-hmm. that it rained too much. So they had to like delay it, and they didn't know how much longer they could delay it. Because all this espionage and trying to make the the Germans think it was going to be someplace else, mm-hmm. not not at Normandy, um, so they wouldn't like release those you know, have as much defenses there as. Yep. Because they didn't know. No one knew. Remember, Eisenhower writes two letters. One that how it was a success, and one was his resignation letter. Uh, resignation letter saying you know it's, he accepts blame for the failed invasion.
0: Yep. Yeah, he wrote two letters before the actual invasion. Yeah. Like he was ready. It was 50-50 for him. I mean, he's bringing an entire armada into mainland Europe to open up a new front. Yeah. You know, to finally bring the war to the Germans. I mean, obviously we're already invading um through North Italy,
1: Africa and Italy, yeah. And North Africa that. and that's yeah. kind
0: of stalled a lot, but this was going to be like going right at the heart of Germany through France yeah. and uh, you know, Main mainland like Europe. Said, yeah. Yeah, he, this guy was you know, Ike I basically said, hey, this is 50-50. I'm going to write these two speeches. Well, it's, and it's never I'll, been I'll done before. You know it, it was never done yeah. before. Yep. So they crossed the English Channel, right? Uh, eventually from, you know, Mr. Sipple is going to talk about that. But, you know, the night from June 5th to June 6th, 1944, and as Tom mentioned, it was supposed to be June 5th, but they delayed it. And shortly after midnight, actually, the um, two American divisions, the 82nd and 101st Airborne Division, were dropped and parachuted in behind enemy yeah. lines to cut. Cut cords, if, take,
1: take yep. bridges, just get the Anything invasion. to get, stall. Yep. Yeah, some of the groundwork put together.
0: Yeah. An idea was to stall any German reinforcements. So once the surprise came and they arrived at Normandy Beach, if these guys did their job, these paratroopers, and cut the lines, then there would be no way to communicate and get more reinforcements from the Germans to come into the beach. So uh, after that, it's pretty much history. I mean, once they get on the beach – the Allies just advanced through France and you know, the and heavy fighting, the heavy
1: casualties, but they just keep on coming. That's basically what ha- they just they just keep on coming. They progress up the beachhead and then they establish it. And once it's established, that's it, they're not losing it. There's no way that they're gonna be driven back into the English channel after that. Yeah. Because of the bravery of like Mr. Stippel, like what we're gonna yeah. be hearing soon. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. We should also mention the fact that this wasn't like a oh, one landing and done. This, yeah. this is just like seven days, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. to try to secure this beach. And in it wasn't just different... one beach.
1: You had Omaha, no. Utah, Juneau, Sword, Gold. Those were all the right. beaches that the Americans, British, um, and Australians and Canadians were all um, invading.
0: Yeah. One thing that Mr. Stipple did not mention in this interview, but he mentioned to me before, is that. Uh, if you see any pictures from Omaha Beach from the first wave, he goes, you can't believe that those are pictures from the first wave. And, and I said, why, Mister Sipple? And he goes, because they were all dead. And then he just went really quiet. And I was like, oh, um,
1: those first guys, you know, as well, soon as that ramp opened, yeah, they had no shot. It's
0: crazy. Um, well, I guess without a further ado, um, here's the interview for our podcast with uh, a D-Day veteran, Mister Sipple.
4: Right, uh, industry school, school. Yeah, 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 and then from there you, did you wind up going to any of them, or did you go straight into the service? From there, I uh, went. Uh, Richie Zinger and I quit school. Richie Zinger was Cedar Lake, mm-hmm. and uh, we quit school, and we, uh, he, he found out about a, a, a project that the government was running where they paid you to go to school, mm-hmm. so we went to a machinist school up in Phillipsburg. Wow. us, and. Uh, when I graduated there, I got a job at Staple Machines in Rockaway, mm-hmm. and then two weeks before I was seventeen, I went down and listed in the Navy, wow. and then I, uh, after I turned seventeen, they activated me. And, uh, I only had five weeks of boot camp up in Sampson, New York, up on Seneca Lake, up in the north end of Seneca Lake, up by Geneva, New York, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Usually boot camp, Navy boot camp was ten to twelve weeks, but they pushed have us to rush through it. Yeah. five weeks, and they they uh, gave us the two weeks, two, 14 day leave. We went back, we went back up, and they gave us an aptitude test. <laughs> and uh, the guy called me in. He said, well, "What do you want to do?" He said, "You got high marks in your aptitude test." He said, "What do you want? What do you want to do in the Navy?" I said, "Well, I was." A, Working as a machinist, I wouldn't go, I'd like to go to machinist for that. So he said, well, we're looking for aerial gunners. And he said, with the marks you've got, I could guarantee if you want, whatever, uh, 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 wanted what to go to aerial gunnery school, that uh, with the marks you've got, you would, would go there. So I was all right, put me down for that. So we went back, we went back to the barracks in About two days later, an officer came in and he said, Everybody, everybody, pack up your gear, be down in front of the barracks in an hour. The truck's going to pick you up and take you to the station. So we went down there in the snow and we stood and they came and got us and took us to the station to to New York and uh, marched us up to Pier 92. That was all after his aptitude. I don't know what aptitude means, but uh, anyhow. (laughs) Yeah, have a seat, by the way. what a baloney! <laughs> and uh, anyhow, we uh, we marched us up to Pier ninety-two, and the Queen Mary was tied up to Pier ninety, and uh. uh we slept on the springs of Pier 92. That I just says don't uh, don't unlash your gear because you're gonna be moving out early in the morning. Yeah, don't move in for too long. So in the morning they herded us over in a parking lot there, and they gave us a steel helmet, gas mask, and a, the uh, Salvation Army gave us a their first aid kit, and uh, then they. Boarded this they started boarding us on the Queen Mary she was up was tied up to Pier 90. And I I was a skinny kid. I was my and my sea bag and everything, your sea bag and your mat your your camera and everything all lashed together. It was heavy. And I had it on my shoulder and I was struggling with the damn thing. And this old guy boy, here he was behind the barricade here, people civilians watching us load up. And he come running over here, kid. Let me help you. He wanted to get in my place. He wanted to take my place in the line. Oh wow! And and, go, and the CBs out of there, the shore patrol had to come get him, take him out. Oh, wow! Well, we uh, were we uh, got on the Queen Mary River, six and a half days uh, to go to Rosene, Scotland. We went through Northland, Big, big storms. the waves were coming over top of And two. B 47 Thunderbolts lashed on the main deck in the front of the wheelhouse, and then uh, we got there, We uh, there were five LSTs up there, and they were, uh, they had been in North Africa, Sicily and uh, uh, Salerno, Italy, and they, then they sent them back up there to the be uh, re-outfitted with any aircraft guns. They had a big 3-inch 50 on the fan tail. They took that off and they put a bunch of 40s and 20s extra on there. That's what we went over for. Yeah. Boot camp, I shot three shots out of a rifles. rifle. <laughs> There's as much at our, at gunnery as I learned in boot camp. Oh, wow. So anyhow, they uh, that's what we were put on there for. So we, we went... From there we went to Belfast, Ireland, picked up a half-track outfit, and we took them over to Swansea Wills and thumbed them out there. And we went down through the Irish Sea around land, then back up the channel to of Port of Weymouth. That was where we were so stationed, our base was. And that was everything in Port Weymouth went to Omaha Beach. And we we uh, we'd go out on maneuvers and they'd put up balloons and they that's we learned to teach. They taught us how to operate those anti-aircraft guns on the wow. job training, like that. Wow. And uh, we stayed there till The invasion, that's where we left from for the invasion. We had, uh, I got, uh, we uh, had an air raid there about five, six days before the invasion, Germans were over. Dropped bombs and they, they set bombers over high and they dropped bombs one landed so close to our boat it pushed it sideways in the water. And uh, I was, our General quarters horn was going off and I threw my legs out of the rack to get out. About the time the bomb hit, boy, it threw me and get the bulkhead on the other side. And I, I just grabbed my dungarees and my helmet and up the ladder I went with bare feet on this, those pipes that wow. it hurts, you know, but I, I didn't even feel it. And wow. uh, got up there on my, on my gun and uh,
2: or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
4: The 20mm uh, uh, has a three man crew. Here, yeah? They got the, the gunner, they got a end operator to crack it up and down, and they got a loader. And, uh, so anyhow, we, uh, you got, there's a cable that's fastened to the bottom It goes over a pulley and it, gets, it goes on the bolt, and you jack up on it to pull a bolt open so the loader can put the magazine on there. And anyhow, in the excitement and everything, I was scared. And, uh, I didn't put the cable over the pulley, I put it over the trigger. And you got a lot of strength when you're scared. Yeah. I busted the trigger off the gun. Oh, man! This bomber came in low. Yeah. He engine hinkled. I could see the, pilot, the co-pilot and the bombardier and I could have shot him, but I couldn't shoot the gun. Yeah. So uh, they, we saw him drop stuff, we hit the deck. Wow. And we thought they dropped bombs with no explosions, so we thought we were lucky they dropped no yeah. bombs. What they did was drop mines. And wow. the next week our Liberty boat was coming back from the beach when the raid started. And they uh uh we they had two L C T guys on there. LCTs didn't have a small boat to take them in and then LST uh she said 'em to take them. Yeah we uh, uh, we had a work detail and we had to go to the Ancon to get supplies and we were tied on the same buoy, our LST and Jack Schofield from Denville he was on the 347 he had to be on the other one tied to the same buoy and uh, they dropped the mines on the port side of his his LST and we went around, we are going to deliver those two guys that are LCC and then go get our supplies and we went around with the fan of through LCC come up on the port side there and we hit one of those mines, the boat was Oh wow. Big, blew it to pieces and uh, they, they, there was a lot of activity in the harbor with boats running all over place. So the boat right there right away quick the fishes out of the water. They—they. So the coxswain and the loading machine is the ramp operator, they got the purple heart. I got I got, I got I got a bottle of aluminum to grow on my source boss. Oh man. And, uh, I was only seventeen year old kids, so that's, I, I really shouldn't have been there. But anyhow, yeah. uh, uh Oh, we had to get a that's how I got in the small boat property. That's how I got on my the beach. Higgins, yeah. And uh, because we had to get another Higgins boat from the from the, uh, the harbor master, and we all our LSTs had all our Higgins boats had LST 373 painted on them, but they uh, this one we had had a big diamond on it, so we had one odd boat, and uh, so they needed a crew, so they wanted volunteers, so I volunteered for it, so I got as a ramp operator on a, on a Higgins boat. So when we, uh, when we left uh, Portland, Weymouth, and we got about halfway across, that big storm came and they sent a patrol boat out to chase us back. So they wouldn't let us in the harbor because of, they had, had, had take rough away, waters right? take away the submarine screens and they uh, were afraid a sub would sneak in under one of those landing craft and get in the harbor. So they uh, anchored us out in the bay, so we had left one line, uh, 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 uh corvette there to guard us against submarine attacks. so we got a notice from the beach that the, that the, they had mail for the men we had on there, and they hadn't gotten their mail in a long time, so yeah. it was rough boy, I'm telling you. Oh, man. And the captain said, "Any, he says, too dangerous to win there. He says, Are there Any any volunteers? So I volunteered, and a couple other guys volunteered. So we, we, we went in. Uh, when we got to the opening in the in the in the harbor where the submarine net was, they had a machine gun nest on each end of that, and we had to take a uh." Radio man with, with, with the code book, and he had to have uh, they. When they realized there was something out there, they put the light on you, and they and they send you a message by code, and you got to give them the right answer, or they chop you up with a machine gun. They didn't mess around with blimy, and uh, so we had the right code anyhow. They let us in, and we got the mail. And we brought it back out, and we. Uh, the that was oh twenty feet from the water to the main deck the of the L S C in smooth weather. But we we were in that boat they were throwing down even lines and were tying on the mailbags and one minute you were twenty feet down, next minute you were up with level with the deck. If you ever got your arm caught in a doggone line even line and ripped your arm off when it went down, you know. But uh, anyhow we we got that over. Next next day we left for over to France. And we uh they anchored us about eight miles out outside the eighty eight fire and uh, we unloaded all our heavy equipment on the rhino board tanks. We LSD carry about nineteen German tanks and the elevator in front was up that main deck and carry several cap tracks up there because the patrol the cars and jeeps and, jeeps and yeah. ambulances and stuff. Small artillery. And anyhow, we, uh, we, uh, unloaded all that stuff. Jack Schofield, he, when they, when they were unloading, it was rough. Big waves coming and everything else and they... So this is the eve before D-Day, right? Well, this is the this morning. This is D-Day, morning off. Well, during the night. Yeah, between D-Day. the 5th and the 6th. Yeah. yeah. And we, uh, he, they, they, they were unloading on a rhino barge, and they didn't have it lined up too well. They had steel cables hooking them together, and a big wave came, and the rhino barge zigged, and the LSD zagged, and the cables busted, and there was a tank right on the edge of the corner of the, of the rhino barge, and there was another tank coming down the ramp, and he slid into the other tank, and all the way, wake pushed that corner down. Both pegs went straight to the bottom. Five men deep each tank. That's a very uh, hopeless feeling. I can't even imagine. Yeah. 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 But anyhow, we, I don't think Jack got into the beach. Anyhow, they, they we had to get another boat from the barber master, and I got in that group. And I, that's how I got on. And we were going in, we dropped us about eight miles out. About three-hour ride going in there. On the Higgins boat, three hours. They got no wow. seats in them. And uh, the waves were coming over the top and the guys were soaking wet. They were all seasick and oh, we're bailing salt water and puke and everything with our helmets to keep the damn boat from sinking. It was, oh, it was taking on water. and We come across these five guys swimming in the water they had. Their biggest boat had a mine and blew up and there was five left and we pulled, towed them on board and he said, Coxon said, no more, we're going to sink anyhow. Any more, we had two more, we're overloaded now. He says, you can't think, so we had to leave a few guys there. Hopefully, uh, uh, straighten your mind out, you got to think that some other boat came over there and got them And that's a part of And that bothered me. We finally got into the beach and there was a wreckage on the beach. We got in there, got uh, just about, and uh, we finally found a place to land. And we uh, put our guys ashore, a couple of them got knocked out of machine gun boats. A couple of them, one of them, built the a little ways up the beach, dropped the ramp right in front of a machine gun. Killed every single guy in the boat. 38 guys, I think. Nobody ever even got out. And you're 17 years old when this is happening. Yeah. Amazing. And further up the beach, the same thing happened to another Higgins boat. When they got digging through the dead bodies in the afternoon, they found a live guy down there. He was shot four times. He was still alive, and they took him out to a hospital ship, and he lived. They, uh, I read in the paper a few years ago that he, he was a farmer from West Virginia. There was 12, from little town West Virginia, there were 12 kids. All killed there about 15 minutes on home. Walk. He's from that same town hall. And he was, uh, this guy, was, he died from that, loss two years ago. He was the only one out of that whole, the whole town because they, they, they all joined the National Guard because they got a pair of shoes and a pair of pants and some clothes to wear because they were just poor farmers and they, uh, uh so they were all in this, when they, they, the war started, they activated them and they were all squirrel hunters so they were all going to rifle shots so they put them all in the infantry with a rifle and uh, that's uh, how they all got together, in them once and they all got killed. So
0: okay. you were in charge of the ramp on the Higgins boat. Where was the actual, within the boat, I'm trying to visualize it, where was the we mechanism? A, if
4: you're facing towards Out. the beach, would be on the right side, okay. to, to crank the crank. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you were very lucky as well that you were, you know, shot in once the ramp opened. Well, when we, when we got unloaded finally, and the hot the cox says, crank up that ramp we're getting the hell out of here, so I looked at the motor machine he looked at me, and what about them two guys that got shot, they're, they're, out, they're not dead, they're out there propped up on a couple dead bodies, keeping them drowning, and uh, he said again, crank up that goddamn ramp we're getting out of here, I said, we can't hear you, it's too much noise, so. <laughs> We jumped in the water and we ran swimming and waded in and he got one by the collar and I got the other we, Amazing. We towed him back and shoved him up on the ramp and we climbed up there and we pulled them in and in. Then we cranked up the goddamn ramp. <laughs> got the that is amazing. Mm-hmm. But moment. they, uh, we took, I don't know where they lived or died, we took them on to a handle. ship. And then it took you forever to get out
0: of there, I assume. We were one of the few boats that did get out
4: of there. Yeah. Beach. Most of them, nobody ever of there at that time in the day, that, yeah, morning. that morning. And we laid out and the LST 6 was the only LST that landed on Omaha Beach that day. Uh, Bob Wilkins from Indian Lake was on there, he was mm-hmm. the same age as yeah. us. And uh, they took in a hospital unit. Uh, Dr. Bertha was a young surgeon in that hospital, Dr. Bertha from Warden, hmm. and uh, they got around 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we had to back them up and boy, there were still a couple of uh, mortar uh, uh, battalions up there that they hadn't knocked out yet and they, they were dropping mortars all around I know, the LSD-6 they were going off with, like like popcorn and never hit them with a single one that had a lot of shrapnel but they never hit them with a shell. Amazing. So they got in there and they got the tent set up and they got the hospital set up up on the hill there about 6 o'clock at night. And we would lay out and wait for orders from the heavy cruiser Augusta. She was the flagship for all the amphibious. Admiral Stark was on her. Admiral Stark, he was the accommodation for the invasion. Well, for what we did. And, uh, anyhow, we... Uh oh, so saw no German planes all day. The sky was full of planes, they were all Allied planes. But then right about dusk when you could just about see when people go cruising out over there, Nobody fired a shot at him. And he went cruising back in again. And he was looking for a guard. He was looking the Texas was on our starboard side shell point to to get, they were, Texas was giving him a lot of trouble, so they were. that was what he was looking for. So he went back in over the beach, and a little while later out he came again, and he came right over in front of us, and we noticed the marking on the side, and we opened up on him and put him on fire, and the uh, uh, side door opened up, and this guy dove out of there head first. He was on fire from his head to his toes. Uh, we must have hit some fuel tanks in that thing, and he got sprayed. He was falling for us. He, he no sooner cleared, the plane exploded right over top of us. And the rest of the bodies in the plane and all the junk and everything came down on us and around us. And the next morning, we we had to clean up that mess. And there was a Rhino barge tied on along our port side here. My gun was right there. About 10 feet away, and uh, wedged between the rhino barge and the side of our ship was a tire from that plane. And I, uh, I came within 10 feet of getting killed by a tire. Wow. <laughs> but uh, we, we jacked it out of there, got it out of here, We took it to the carpenter shop, cut the tire off it, and took the rim and cut the rim up all in little pieces, a little, Yeah. <laughs> so everybody got a little piece of that a little blade, momentum. But I, so I lost mine, I don't have it. I should have put it on a chain, put it around my neck. Yeah. Mine. Well, you and still have the memory of it. So it's still, it's still there. You know, you, you may not have the physical it. thing, but it's a thing that uh, you forget. Nobody has a inkling of what that was like. It was terrible. You wonder, if there's a Lord up there, why the hell he let something like that go on there, you know? Unbelievable. But that was, uh, boy, amazing. 88 shell, was a big, big shell, that's one of the finest pieces of artillery that was any country had. And the LCI up the beach came in there they unloaded a ramp on inside side of the nose of your Circle Line folks over in New York, they were converted to LCI's and uh, the men walked down the ramp, the soldiers, and this one a uh, German gunner, he had a bullseye, he made a bullseye rifle and this ramp is full of men. Uh, turn a human body into stew meat. But that's, uh, I wouldn't give a million bucks if I had a sell it, sold a ticket to one that I, I trip, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it again, but glad I made it. You know what happened here. It's interesting, last time we spoke, you told me a story afterwards, how you
0: wind up getting sick before you came home. That sounded pretty scary. Oh, I like <laughs>
4: Didn't you say you couldn't feel your legs? It was like... You when we came back to this country, we, they gave us a month's leave. Mm-hmm. We we took that LST when they were... We made about 19 trips across the channel. One trip up the Stain River to Rouen, France, with a tank outfit. And then the LST-6 hit a mine and sank on the, on, on the way back. And Bob Wilkins was on that lst six, And uh, uh, then they... Were finished with us, they sent us back up to Rosneath, Scotland, and we re- re- I got the picture home. We re-, re-, re recommissioned that into the British Navy, it to the Limeys, and uh, then they put us on a in a truck and trucked us down to Glasgow, Scotland, put us on a train for Liverpool, England, and we got on the USS Mount Vernon it was the old USS Camden, troop troopship carrying a lot of a lot of wounded and veterans. And uh, we spent Christmas Eve 44 in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Best food I ever ate in my life, man. We had turkey, chicken, candy, cigars, ice cream, anything you wanted. Potatoes and gravy, boil. I'm telling you, really, really fast. Must have been good. You still remember it, all these young uh, Well, we got into New York and the. Uh, uh, they turned the PA system on. We could you'd see cars going along the road over there. Everything was blacked out. You know, they, the cars had the top of the lights blacked out. I think, but you could still yes. Anyhow, that was something to see. See that, and they turned the PA system on, and they were playing rum and Coca-Cola and one meatball. <laughs> they were the dance craze of the, yeah. in this country at that time. Over in England, there was the Hokey Pokey and the Lambeth Walk <laughs> in London at that time. That, that was the dance craze over there. But anyhow, we got a month's leave and then we had a report back to Norfolk, Virginia. And the only... about 134 guys on that LSD. I only saw... I ever saw one guy from that LSD, it was Jim, Jim Sickles, James Flannery Sickles. He hated his name Flannery. You know, you <laughs> I call them Flanders. And uh, we, they sent us to Fort Pierce, Florida, for small boat training and So we got down there, I said, Jim, I said, We I got blew up one of them, things, but I don't remember part of the goddamn small boat. So they had a we went in the mess hall and they had an advertisement on a bulletin board there. They were looking for volunteers for extra hazards and prolonged duty outside of continental limits. So I said, let's go down tomorrow to the office and see what that's all about. So we did. And they were looking for volunteers for amphibious scouts and raiders and underwater demolition. So we decided we'd go on amphibious scouts. That was a little more complicated. And uh, so we took the test. I passed and he failed. So they took him in the underwater demolition. They took me in amphibious scouts. So I trained with them down there. And I'm telling you, that was... Stiff training. When you got finished with that three months, course, you were in good shape. Well, that was preparing you for a Pacific, essentially, right? Hey, oh, yeah, that's what that's where we were going. Well, was, originally, uh, they, uh, we were originally they scuttled, but they were gonna we were gonna go to India and then go to China Burma Theater with the Maryland Marauders or whatever the hell they were. But they changed their mind, they sent us to the Philippines, instead of for a pass for any for education, But we, uh, Harry Truman, my favorite president, dropped the bomb and saved my hide and a lot of other ones, and, you know, they got points enough to come home, and they put us on an attack transport and sent us back to New York, back out oh, no, to, uh, uh Washington anyhow yeah, on the way back I I got feeling sick and I couldn't get out of my sack I couldn't move my legs and uh, I, uh, I tried to get I wanted to get I wanted to get to the sick bag. I was trying to get up this ladder. And I couldn't take my foot up that high on the floor. And all these, the white guys are going to chow and they're pushing on, get the hell out of the way, we're going to eat, you know, you're blocking the traffic tomorrow. I couldn't help myself. And finally this young colored man came along. He said, boy, you don't look too good. Boy, I don't feel too good. He said, where are you trying to go? I says, I'm trying to go to sick bay. He says, I'll get you there. So he, he got me up that ladder and he got me in the sick bay. When we got to Seattle, Washington, they had to take me off in a stretcher and I couldn't walk. And they put me in the Seattle Washington Naval Hospital and they did some tests. They did some smile taps and a few things on me there. Then uh, they sent me to St. in New York. They sent a Jewish boy was a medic with me to take care of me on, on the trip. I didn't have anything on the train. And, uh, his father owned a big trucker company in New York. There, had money, and he was a boy. And uh, he got to Chicago. He called his mother in New York, and uh, he got off the train, and he gave gave her my my mother's phone number and address and everything. So she she got in touch with my mother, and my sister Millie, and and uh, they. They told them where to drive to New York and park, and they and a the chauffeur limousine picked them up. Uh-huh. And when we got to New York, same thing at the station, a chauffeur limousine uh-huh. picked us up and took. They had a penthouse, called uh-huh. made, and uh, we had dinner there, served and everything else. It wow. Uh-huh. We visited and everything, and when that was all over. Why? Well, they took my mother and sister back to the car with the limousine. They took him and I out to St. Holmes in the limousine. When I had wow. Out there in the well, you deserved it, that's for sure. But I spent five and a half months in there. And I, so what did they say it was? Gillian Barry syndrome. I got it from a mosquito bite. Wow. I got bit with a lot of mosquitoes out there. got this mosquito bite wow. that, I, that made half a man out of me. I, that I used to be. That was yeah. You can't water work, can imagine. All the kids couldn't wait to get out of school to get in the service these days. They wanted to help their country. Different times. But I point. think they'd have a different attitude today. Terrible thing to say. Terrible thing for somebody to see because you got to think about the rest, the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, the sheer
0: fact that you were 17 years old. And witnessing
4: all that is, you know, it puts everything well, in perspective. I was a dumb kid. I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> you know, that's, what, that's really oh, what yeah. they wanted, I right? think. Dumb kids.
0: And now, you know, all these years later, and here you're sitting through a uh, world pandemic. <laughs> you know,
4: who, yeah, would felt, huh? who would have thought? Who would have thought, right? Uh, you lived yes. through a lot in your life. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this pandemic? I you don't know. know. I uh, Sometimes I think it's a political thing. The, you can't take a chance. You know.
0: yeah. Well, you are now ninety. How old are you? Now? Well,
4: I'll be ninety four in three months. God bless you. And yeah, you drive. You're 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 in better shape than I am, and I'm thirty eight. Well, I'm not, <laughs> you you don't see the handful of pills I take every day either. You're a bit. Uh, I, I do I do a lot of pills swallowing, but the, no, I I do everything. I I. I had a big wall of tree fall in my pond, I got that all my, out myself and and I'm fixing the wall up, a stone wall out there and I cut my grass. I do everything myself, but I got to do a Some days I just get lazy and look at it and say to hell with it. I'm tired, <laughs> but uh, I keep the place looking pretty good.
0: And you have to keep busy, right? I think you told me that once, that it's important to never stop, Just just be busy. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoy that. It was definitely different for this podcast, but I think it really kind of opens our eyes a lot into just to kind of know that, you know, Mister Sipple drove himself to this interview and, you know, I waved to him as he drove away. And sometimes you see the elderly guys just kind of walking around, you know, in the bank line or driving and, you know, you don't understand or don't think about the stories that these, these, you know, older guys carry with them.
1: They're the ultimate primary source. I mean, they, and they're, there's still the stories there. they have is what you're reading in your history books.
0: Exactly, and they're still there. And uh, for that, I just you know I think we just want to say that if you you know if you guys know a veteran or see a veteran, you should definitely thank them for you know for their service. And uh, always challenge your assumptions. You know, never judge a book by its cover. So next time there's a uh, person driving in front of you that looks like they're 90 and they're driving really slow, you know what? Let them drive slow. Yeah,
1: let them right. because you know when they were your age, they have a they were doing some things very similar to what you were doing, but they were also doing they could have been saving the world. So you know exactly. what? Like, literally. literally <laughs> no. Yeah, literally. They're saving the world from Nazis, okay? Let it go.
0: <laughs> Let it go. Let him drive slow. Like Nuts. So thank you so much to Mr. Al Sippel. Tom, you wanted to uh, make a little announcement before we go for this week?
1: Um, I just want to say that if um, we do have a, to announce our Twitter page, the History Teacher Talking Twitter page, um, it's at history underscore talk underscore ab so um go there we'll be advertising our next podcast we'll eventually do polls possibly we're talking about to see what topics you guys want us to talk about and then uh, just follow us
0: yeah yeah spread the word guys spread the word if you enjoy listening to us do spread the word so uh i guess that's it for our podcast this week um thank you so much for listening and uh we'll see you guys next week take it easy Hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com.
3: Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions.